0: Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. As Phil mentioned, my name is Jonathan Bauer, and this morning it is part of my vocation to be here with you in God's house, to share with you, and to lead you in a message from God's Word, and in that I find great joy. As he also mentioned, it is normally my vocation to serve as one of the four pastors over at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Tempe, just a few miles east of here. And as part of that vocation, I share with you in the preaching and teaching of God's Word specifically as I have the distinct privilege of teaching 7th and 8th grade confirmation class there at Emanuel Lutheran School um, to the students who attend Emanuel Lutheran School, which includes some students who are members here at Crosswalk Church. And in that vocation, I also find great joy. As my prayer for you this morning is that you too would find joy in your vocation, in your specific station in life, whatever that station might be. That's kind of our thought this morning. That's kind of our focus as we conclude and wrap up this series entitled, My Vocation Destination. It's a thought that I know has not been very far from your minds during the course of the last five weeks. In fact, I've been listening along with you. I've been listening To your podcasts. And every single week, I hear Pastor Gunn emphasize this thought again and again and again, which is really important because it's what vocation is really all about. And yet, even though it's been said many times, it deserves being said again. This thought deserves our focus one more time. It deserves our undivided attention as we conclude this series on vocation. And the thought is this. That my vocation, destination, my station in life is in fact the happiest place on earth. When you hear that phrase, the happiest place on earth, what are some thoughts that pop into your mind? I'm guessing most people picture a mom and a dad running around with a couple of little tykes in a crowded amusement park, going from ride to ride hanging out with all their favorite characters like Mickey and Donald, having absolutely the time of their life. You're probably well aware that for a long time, Disneyland has claimed to be the happiest place on earth. And yet this morning, I'm going to disagree with that a little bit, and I hope that eventually you will disagree right along with me. As happy a place as Disneyland is, I'm going to suggest that there is another place on earth that is still happier. And I'm guessing that just about everyone in this room has seen this place at some point in their life, maybe even very recently. And for many people in this room, you've actually been in this place, what I consider to be the happiest place on earth. I want you to picture yourself sitting in a large room full of all your closest friends and family. I want you to picture yourself sitting there, everyone sitting down facing the front where there is a young man standing, all dressed up, standing more or less by himself. There's music playing in the background. But then a brief moment of silence and you can almost feel the anticipation in the room grow. And then those musicians come in with Paco Bell's Canon in D and right on cue, the entire assembly stands to their feet And turns around, because here she comes. Here comes the bride, right? Now when you think about the weddings that you've attended in your life, and when you think about the brides that you have stood up and turned around to see, there's usually a smile on her face, isn't there? In fact, probably ear to ear. When you look at that bride, you can see that she is happy. In fact, many brides would consider their wedding day maybe to be the happiest day of their entire life. And if that's the case, then maybe that spot, standing in that church at the end of that aisle, maybe that spot is, in fact, the happiest place on earth. Why is that, do you think? Why is that bride so happy? Well, as you look at her, you can clearly see that she is happy. And as you look at her, maybe you might also have a pretty good idea as to why she is so happy. I mean, just look at her. On no other day has so much time, so much attention, so much care, and, and yes, so much money been spent making sure that she looks just right. Every last detail, from her hair to her makeup to her wedding gown, is exactly the way that it's supposed to be. She's stunning. She makes heads turn. She demands your attention. So who wouldn't be happy? No matter how ordinary she might look on most days, on this day, she truly looks extraordinary. But that kind of rings a bell, doesn't it? For the last five weeks, you have been finding extraordinary things in ordinary places. In fact, vocation is that teaching from God's word that points to the ordinary things that make up our station in life, that make up our day-to-day activities. It points to all of those ordinary things and it allows us to see them as extraordinary. It allows us to see them in a way that we've never seen them before. And the word of God in front of us today is really no exception to that. We're going to spend most of our time this morning studying a couple of verses from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. You'll see that those verses are listed on the top of your crosswalk notes. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. And in this section... Paul is addressing people who have various vocations, various callings, various stations in life. Before these verses, he had addressed wives. Later on, after these verses, he's going to address children as well as fathers, and then eventually he'll also address servants as well as masters. But in the verses in front of us today, verses 25 through 27, Paul deals with one specific vocation— that vocation of husband. And notice right at the beginning what Paul says about how husbands can serve God in the vocation, in the calling that God has given them. Right off the bat, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives. Well, I don't know about you, but that sure sounds pretty ordinary. Doesn't it? Nothing out of the ordinary, nothing extraordinary at all about that. In fact, I included also in your crosswalk notes another very familiar section of God's Word, also written by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In this section, he describes love, and it's probably a section that you've heard read at weddings before. It's probably familiar to you, at least a little bit already. But as I read these familiar words from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, note also how the things that Paul describes, the things that God asks Christians to do for one another in love sound so very ordinary. Paul says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil But rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Like I said, it sounds a little bit too ordinary, doesn't it? Notice how Paul doesn't say anything about husbands buying diamond tennis bracelets for their wives for their anniversary. Doesn't say anything about writing little love poems and leaving them in places where you know your wife will find them. Doesn't say anything about buying a dozen red roses and bringing them home after a day of work just because. Now, don't get me wrong, all of those things, of course, would be very loving things to do, and I'm sure your wives would greatly appreciate them. And yet, Paul points to something else. How does a husband serve God in his vocation as husband? Well, he's patient with his wife. He's kind to her. He always considers her best interest even when it comes at the expense of his own. He doesn't get angry with her. Doesn't keep track of all of the wrong things that she's done, but instead he forgives her. He protects her reputation in the way that he speaks about her with his friends and with his family. He always takes her at at her word. He always trusts her. Like I said, it sounds pretty ordinary, doesn't it? But the fact remains that whether we are a husband or a wife, a parent or a child, an employer or an employee, the things that God calls us to do in our vocation, in our station in life, very often seem ordinary. God calls us to simply love people exactly where we are, exactly the people that he has put around us to love and using exactly the gifts and exactly the personality that he has given us. And boy, all of that sounds so very ordinary. But then vocation is like a big spotlight that God shines on all of those ordinary things and allows us to see them in a way that we had never seen them before. Vocation is like that jewelry, that makeup, that hairdo, that wedding dress that turn a woman into a bride, that demand our attention, that make us look because even though we've seen it all before, we've never seen it quite like this. In fact, take an opportunity to write that down in your crosswalk notes. Vocation shines a spotlight on the ordinary things that we do and allows us to see them as extraordinary. This is what has occupied your attention over the course of the last five weeks. Let me give you just a couple of examples. You've heard during the last few weeks that you can serve God anywhere that you go. Your service to God is not limited to places like churches or soup kitchens, You serve God in your home, you serve God in your office, you serve God in your neighborhood. Pretty extraordinary, isn't it? You've also heard over the course of the last few weeks that your service to God is 100% unique. You are a unique person who is surrounded by other unique people, and you have been given completely unique gifts to be used in service to others. And so when it comes to God's battleship, remember talking about that battleship a couple weeks ago? Your spot on God's battleship is both unique and therefore vital. Sounds pretty extraordinary, doesn't it? Last week you even saw that the things that you do in life that cause you great difficulty, the crosses that you carry in your calling as a Christian, even those things God is able to work for your good and for the good of others. Again, talk about extraordinary. So after five weeks of shining that spotlight on the ordinary things and allowing us to see them as extraordinary, let me ask you this. Are you happy? Are you happy with your life? Are you happy with the things that you do? When you think about all of that stuff that fills your time, from the time your alarm clock goes off in the morning until the time when your head hits the pillow at the end of the day, when you think about all of that stuff, are you happy? And even more than that, would you consider your calling, your station in life, the very happiest place on earth? you're anything at all like me, your answer to that question sort of depends on the day. Sure, there are probably days where you would consider your life, your station in life, the very happiest place on earth. Days when everything goes right. But then maybe there are other days where you find no joy, no fulfillment, no satisfaction in the things that you do. And so maybe there are other days when You would not consider your vocation destination the happiest place on earth. You see, the fact is that no matter how long we shine that spotlight on the ordinary things that we do and see them as extraordinary, there is still going to be this skeptical side to us that raises objections. There is still going to be this sort of cynical, pessimistic side that raises its hand and says, Now hold on just one minute. Are you sure that you're happy with the things that you are doing? That skeptical side of us raises all kinds of different objections, and I included some space on your crosswalk notes to be able to write some of these down. Maybe you can write some of the ones that I mentioned if they kind of, if they kind of hit home. Maybe you can think of some on your own that, that you've heard during your life that that skeptical side has brought to your attention. Here's objection number one. You're happy with the things that you do? You really think that you are serving your God by sitting at your desk and typing information into a computer all day long? Look at the person sitting next to you. You know that he is not a Christian. You know that he is not serving God with the things that he is doing. But you know what? He's doing the exact same thing you are. And maybe even better, Maybe even faster. Boy, that's a tough one. What about this objection? You're happy with the things that you're doing? What you're doing makes absolutely no difference in the world. Sure, the farmers give people their food. The construction workers make people's homes. The factory workers build their cars. But what about you? What you're doing has no significant impact on, on anyone at all it doesn't make life better for anyone in any significant way maybe you've heard that one before what about this objection you're happy with the things that you're doing what you're doing is making absolutely no difference in God's kingdom other people are out there inviting people to church telling all kinds of people about their savior but in your vocation you don't really get to meet that many people and the people that you already know, already know about their Savior. That can be a tough one, too. See, each one, of those is, each one of those objections is one more reason why we would not consider our vocation destination the happiest place on earth. And yet there's still one more. The biggest objection is still left, and here it is. You think you're happy with the things that you're doing? Look at the way in which you are doing them. You see, two things happen when God shines that spotlight on the ordinary things that we do and and allows us to see them as extraordinary. Two things happen. On the one hand, it's a little bit exhilarating because we realize that anywhere that we are and everywhere that we go, we can serve God with what we do. But at the same time, as we look at those things and we realize this is how I'm supposed to be serving God, it's also very disheartening. Because we realize the way in which we have been going about our day-to-day tasks must be terribly disappointing to him. In fact, he finds them unacceptable. In fact, if God were to treat us on the basis of what we deserve, on the basis of how we live out our callings, our vocations, our everyday lives, then God would certainly send us to a destination. He would certainly send us to a place, but a place where he is absent. A place where his love and his kindness simply cannot be found. You know that destination is called hell. And you know that it is far from the happiest place on earth. In fact, it is a place of eternal suffering and eternal torment. Have you heard that voice before? That's the voice of your conscience speaking. That's the voice that tells you that you and I, we have not been what we are supposed to be. And I'm guessing there are times in your life where you take that pretty hard. You know, we like to kind of put on a good show for other people and let everyone know that that when it comes to our day-to-day lives, we're doing everything that we can and we're living it all to God's glory, but maybe there are times when it's just you when that guilty conscience speaks loudest, where that guilt can almost be paralyzing, where that guilt certainly keeps you from finding your vocation destination as the happiest place on earth. And so the bottom line is, we've been barking up the wrong tree. We've been looking in all the wrong places. God shines that spotlight on the ordinary things that you and I do and allows us to see them as extraordinary, and yet that is not where you and I are going to find true and lasting joy. That's our, mer- our first main point this morning that you can jot down on your crosswalk notes Number one, it's the happiest place on earth. My vocation destination is the happiest place on earth, but not because I am happy with what I do. Are you happy with what you're doing? It's entirely the wrong question to be asking yourself. Thankfully, Paul points us in the right direction. Let's get back into those verses from Ephesians chapter 5. And after talking to husbands and telling husbands that they are to love their wives, Paul says in verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Notice, first of all, how Paul helps us find happiness in our vocation by taking our focus off the things that you and I do and pointing them, pointing our attention to the things that Christ has done for us. And as you look at that short sentence that I read from verse 25, the first point that we want to make is maybe so obvious, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyways. The first point is this, that Jesus himself had a vocation. Jesus himself had a calling. In fact, Jesus' name, his title, Christ, really implies that all by itself. You might be aware that the word Christ means Anointed one or chosen one. And the Bible tells us that Christ, Jesus, was chosen for a very specific calling. That calling was made clear even before Jesus was born. I've included a verse from Matthew chapter 1. Before Jesus was born, the angel Gabriel appeared to what would eventually be his stepfather, Joseph to tell Joseph that Mary was going to have a child. And when the angel appeared, he said to Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So we should make sure to write that down. Jesus' calling was to be the Savior of the world. Jesus had a calling. His calling was to be the Savior of the world. Next, Take note in that verse from Ephesians chapter 5 that in his calling as the Savior of the world, Jesus was called to do things not all that different from you and me. Paul had said, husbands, love your wives. And then he says, Christ loved the church. The tasks that Jesus was given to do in his calling as the Savior were exactly the same tasks that you and I were given to do, but could not fulfill perfectly. And of course, we know that Jesus fulfilled all of those tasks so much better than we did. Notice how Paul says that. He says that Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Christ gave Himself. He didn't come to give us an hour of His time, He didn't come to give us a helping hand or to give us a kickstart and get us going in the right direction. No. The good news for you and for me is that Jesus came to give us all of him, himself, 100%. Of course, that includes his suffering, his death on the cross, when he gave up his own life to be the payment for our sins, but it also includes every single second, every single minute that Christ had lived previous to that. Christ came to do all of the things that you and I were asked to do, but could not do. He came to take our place, to be our substitute under the lofty expectations that our God makes of us. Let's make sure we write that down in our crosswalk notes, that in his calling, in his calling, Jesus did the same things that we, you and I are called to do, but he did them differently. He did them Perfectly. And that sounds pretty good for Jesus, doesn't it? And we might be tempted to sort of stand up and give him a round of applause for living in his calling perfectly, for doing everything that was asked of him. But how in the world does that benefit you and me? Well, let's go on to the next verse from Ephesians chapter 5. Top of the back page on your crosswalk notes. Paul is talking about the church, and remember that that's you and me. He says that Jesus did all of this to make Her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. You see, Jesus' purpose in all of this, his purpose all along was to make you and me holy. Through Jesus' work, through the things that he did in his calling, you and I are cleansed. All of our awful sin is taken away, and his perfection, his perfect life is given to us as a gift. It's a pretty sweet deal, isn't it? He takes our sin, we take his perfection, not bad. And Paul tells us exactly how it happens. He says that all of that takes place by the washing with water through the word. You can probably tell what Paul is talking about there, can't you? He's talking about the sacrament of holy baptism. And what a wonderful description of baptism that Paul gives. In baptism, everything that Jesus earned with his life and with his death is given to you and given to me. In baptism, all of our sins are washed away. In baptism, you and I are made to be God's dearly loved children once and for all. End of discussion. That's quite the mouthful that Paul says in verses 25 and 26. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Those are the two verses that I'm going to ask you to meditate on and memorize this week. But you might be asking yourself, well, that's great news. But what does any of that have anything to do with me finding my vocation destination, the happiest place on earth? Well, let's get back to that bride. We had kind of left her as she was about to walk down the aisle toward her soon-to-be husband. And as we look at that bride, remember, we can clearly see that she is happy. And as we look at her, maybe we also think we know why. Maybe we think it has something to do with her hair and her makeup, her jewelry, and her dress. Maybe it has everything to do with the way that she looks. And yet, believe it or not, none of that is the reason why she is so happy. None of that has anything to do with why that is the happiest place on earth. No, we can look at her and see that she is happy. But if we want to know why, we need to turn around. If we want to know why, we need to look in exactly the opposite direction. We need to look at that groom. Have you ever done that at a wedding before? When everyone's standing up and looking at the bride, have you ever taken a quick glance over at the groom? If so, what did you see? Well, as you can imagine, in a groom, you see someone who is thrilled. Absolutely overjoyed you see someone who can sort of say to the rest of the room, you think she's beautiful? You think she is stunning? I'm the one that gets to marry her. I'm the one that gets to be her husband. I'm the one that gets to spend the rest of my life with that bride. And believe it or not, that's exactly the way that Jesus looks at you. In the Bible, again and again, God describes this relationship, the relationship between the church and Jesus, as a relationship between a bride and a groom. And in fact, Paul wraps up these verses from Ephesians by giving just such a description. We can really picture a wedding day and a bride standing before a groom, as Paul says in verse 27. Jesus did all of this for the church to present her... To himself, as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Because of what Jesus has done and because of God's gift of baptism, you and I are cleansed. You and I are made perfect and holy, just like a bride on her wedding day. Everything is exactly how it should be. And that's worth noting. Through Baptism, on your crosswalk notes, through baptism we are cleansed and made to be Christ's perfect bride. So believe it or not, when Jesus looks at you, he has the exact same joy, the exact same thrill that a groom has when he looks at his bride. In fact, there's a passage from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 62, where God says, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. God has for us the very same joy that a groom has standing at the end of that aisle looking down at his beautiful, beaming bride. And his joy is the reason for ours. So that is why our vocation destination is the happiest place on earth. No matter what we're doing, whether we're a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, an employer, an employee, no matter where we are, what we do, or how we do it, each one of us is standing in that spot. Christ's bride, staring down the aisle at our groom looking into his face and seeing nothing but pure joy. And once again, his joy is the cause of ours. Are you happy with what you're doing? That's completely the wrong question to be asking. The real question that needs to be answered is this. Is my God happy with me? And through the work of Jesus, the answer to that question is an unequivocal yes. That's point number two on your crosswalk notes. My vocation destination is the happiest place on earth because my God is happy with who I am for Jesus' sake. You'll see a longer section of God's Word printed on the bottom of your page. It's actually from the Gospel of John, chapter 8. I'm not going to read it for you. But in that section of God's Word, we find a scene that is not so terribly different from the one that we've been picturing this morning. There's a church. There's a woman standing on one side of the room and there's a man standing on the other. And in between there is a crowd of people and everyone is on their feet looking at that woman. But there are some important differences to note. First of all that woman is not a beautiful bride. In fact, On this day, she would not be allowed to wear white. No, instead, she shamefully wears that scarlet letter, the letter A, for adultery. And those people that are standing and looking at her are not looking on in admiration, they're angry, they're glaring. Each one of them has an accusation. Each one of them has an objection that they would raise against this woman. And not only that, but each one has a stone in his hand ready to throw at her. They are ready to kill her for what she has done. But then all of those people with stones in their hands, all of those people do exactly the same thing that you and I should be doing. They stop looking at that woman and they turn around to look at Jesus. And they see the way that he looks at her. No anger, no accusations, certainly no stones. They see compassion in his eyes and when they hear those gentle disarming words that he speaks, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. Well, there's nothing for them to do but to walk away. One by one, Each one of them walks away and each one of those stones falls to the ground with a loud thud. And then after everyone has left, Jesus tells her what he thinks about her. Jesus tells her his opinion, his verdict of her and her life. He says, neither do I condemn you. Friends, that same verdict, not guilty, belongs to you and to me. That same face, that same joy that Jesus had when he looked at her is the joy that he has when he looks at us. Because of Christ's verdict, you and I are set free. And you know what else happens? All of those objections that were raised before, all of those objections fall to the ground like those stones that the men were holding. Each and every one of them falls to the ground with a loud thud. You're not happy with the things that you do because they don't bring you joy, they don't bring you fulfillment, they don't bring you satisfaction. You have been washed with water through the Word. Thud. Not happy with the things that you do because they don't seem to be making any difference in the world? As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Thud. Not happy with the things that you do because of the way in which you do them? Jesus gave up his life to present you to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Thud. Not happy with the things that you do for any reason whatsoever, because of Jesus, God is happy with who you are. When you look at Him in front of Him, there is nothing to gain, there is nothing to prove, there is nothing at stake. In His face, you will find only joy. Let's talk about our next steps. First of all, I want you to remember your baptism as the day that you were washed clean and made God's perfect bride. Based on Paul's description of baptism, can we speak too highly about baptism? Can we think about our baptisms too often? What an amazing gift that God gives us in baptism. Number two, after hearing God's verdict, neither do I condemn you. Respond in joy to his call. Go now. And leave your life of sin. Did you notice that? We didn't really get a chance to talk about that verse at the end of John chapter 8. After Jesus gives that woman his verdict, not guilty, he gives her a call. He gives her a vocation. He sends her back to exactly the same spot that she had come from. And he says, live there, but leave your life of sin. Isn't that a great description of the calling that God has given to us? And do you think she went away viewing that command as as a burden, as an obligation, as something that, boy, would be so difficult and and not very much fun to do. No, having looked into Jesus' face and seeing the joy there, she probably ran away with absolute joy looking to serve God in her life. And then finally, meditate on and memorize Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for addressing our greatest problem with the greatest solution as you sent your son Jesus to be our Savior. Fill our hearts with joy in the various callings you have given us, knowing that each of us stands before you as a bride before a joyful groom. Let your not-guilty verdict for us permeate every moment and every place of our lives. Help us live our lives to your glory in all that we think, say, and do. Cause us to find delight in every task that you place before us and bless us as we live as children of light in a world full of darkness. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.